Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with the Brendan Bell. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Because when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the first Peely Dub podcast of the new season. I hope you've enjoyed your summer break, filled as it was with the once familiar tale of Scottish underperformance at a major tournament, but come Thursday night the real stuff is back, as Aberdeen take on BK Hacken in the qualifiers for the Europa Conference League. Later on in the show we'll be speaking to Linus Peterson, a journalist at the Goatberg Postin, to get his insight into how Hacken are performing and the balance of power in the tie. But focusing on the Dons, we're delighted to welcome back Abby Little onto the show. Then, in a shocking blast from the past, we welcome back uh, the very silent partner of this endeavour, uh, Grant Fiskin. Grant, uh, your claim on a third of the bounty when we eventually sell up to the Athletic is on very thin ice, but it is great to have you back nonetheless. Is Poland feverish with excitement to see how J. Emmanuel Thomas is going to fare this season? Uh, hi, Richard. Uh, feverish probably isn't the best word to use at the moment, but... Uh... I'm sure we're all we're all pretty excited to see Jet in action. Okay, first mention of Jet. Just for the record, it wasn't from me. Uh, anyway, then still not able to shake him off as we enter in season seven. It's hello again to Martin Glynis. Uh, so since we were last with you, um, some further sculpting of the squad uh, and a few new faces to talk about. So first up, the guy we probably know least about, uh, Jack Gurr. Obviously, we had um, Stephen Glass, the manager been fairly effusive about him, both when he signed him and in the um, sort of YouTube bit that he did with Stephen Gunn. Um, and I think the signing came under a little bit of criticism, saying, you know, why have we signed Atlanta's fifth choice right back? Obviously, nobody here knows very much about him. He is English, but he, after being at Premier League Academy and being released, he moved over to the US college system. So we uh, spoke to Jason Longshore. Jason, we've had on the show before. He's basically our official Atlanta correspondent. Um, but Jason, as well as calling the Atlanta first team games, also watches um, a lot of the Atlanta United two games. So Jason had this to say about Jack. He says he's a very attack-minded right back. He was among the league leaders and chances created with Atlanta United two in 2020. He fought hard to earn himself time with the first team and earned the respect of everyone around him. He has good pace as a tenacious defender, and he has the engine to cover the whole right side of the field. I feel like he improved every time I saw him play. Uh, Grant, there was it, it's another very sound recommendation from somebody whose opinion I respect. Stephen Glass obviously likes what he sees from him. But um, this does seem like a, a fairly cheap signing, maybe. I mean, I hope that's not going to work against him in the short term, that if he does take a while to settle in the, the whole Atlanta connections, as you said, people 
seem to give me a problem with this, but for me, I mean, it's it's only natural for a, a manager or a coach if he's got the opportunity to use somebody he's worked with before, if he knows the player, if he thinks he can improve the player, if he thinks he'll be a good addition, then I think I think it's pretty common sense. I mean, obviously, you get situations where managers bring four or five, six players over from from the club they're used to at, but I just hope he maybe gets the benefit of the doubt and gets a bit of time to settle in and people just couldn't kind of persist with the the whole Atlanta connection problem that it's completely nothing to do with the with the player himself just give him a chance to show what he can do Pathways is I think a phrase we are going to hear a lot this season Abby so are you happy to have a signing like a Jack Gurr who might not be someone who will be a first choice right back for years to come but someone who will be competition for a young player like Calvin Ramsey Jack Gurr is a player I know nothing about at all but Calvin Ramsey, I think, is absolutely fantastic of what I've seen of him play. Um, I don't have red TV, so I couldn't watch too many of the games last season. Just, But every time I've seen him play, I think he's been fantastic. And I think it's really important for these young players to have that healthy competition. Um, you know, Calvin's still really young, but I think it's definitely a credit to the club having someone like Calvin who has come through the pathway as still so good, still so young, has a bright future ahead of him, and I'm excited to see how these two kind of battle it out for the game time this season. Actually going to be really useful for both him and the manager that they've got that existing relationship, isn't it? Yeah, I think it's definitely important um, for someone who's still relatively young, moving about a lot. I think having already got some decent connections within the team will make the transition a lot easier for him, especially because we've not seen anything from him at all. It'll it, it kind of gives me a bit more confidence that if if their if their relationship was strong enough for him to want to bring Jack over to Aberdeen, then that's enough for me to give this guy a chance. Martin, there were some um, options close at home that might have been able to fill that right back spot. Jason Naismith is a name that we've been linked to previously. He moved this summer from Ross County to Kilmarnock. Are you happy with signing the likes of Jack Gurr? Certainly there's been a bit of discontent um, about the idea of sending Atlanta's fifth-choice straight back, as he was famously termed. Uh, well, I think I think the you know you, you mentioned what you're supposed to mention there. I think it ties into why he's why he's come in here. You know, I, I think he's come as a guy who will play some games. I think Calvin Ramsey will play some games. I think it's he's came in just as um, as as not, not perhaps a stopgap, but someone who is who is capable um, is able to step in, but will also be be there to push along you know, Calvin Ramsey going forward. You know, t- if everything goes to plan, will be our will hopefully be Aberdeen's right back for, for you know, the next you know, however many, f- four, five, six seasons, hopefully. Um, so bringing someone in in the short term, um, rather than perhaps someone like a Naismith who would be coming in looking to play and looking to play every single game, um, and someone like that would really limit um, Ramsey's opportunities. So bringing in someone who um, perhaps isn't a long-term option uh, and probably is aware that he's not going to be a long-term option, uh, but is going to come in and be able to play football and, you know, push along a younger player, I think is a, is a smart decision. You mentioned Clark Robertson there. Let's speak a little bit about him because um, Grant, he was one of the um, one of the few names that have actually made it to the press that didn't actually materialise as a signing. Um, he eventually ended up down at Portsmouth. So 
Would you have been a fan of that move? He'd obviously had a career bouncing between League One and the Championship in England, established himself as a centre-half. We are looking very light on depth for Thursday night for centre-halves. Looks like he favours Ross McCrory in there. Michael Devlin's been given six months to prove his fitness. Um, firstly, would you have been happy to see Clark Robertson? And secondly, do you think we still are in the market for another centre-half? Well, for the first, I've not really probably seen Clark Robson play at all since he, he left Aberdeen. But to be honest, if I was him, I wouldn't blame him for not coming back. I mean, players coming back don't tend to do particularly well. And I reckon if he started pretty poorly, the fans would be on his back pretty quickly. It's kind of the same old story with that kind of thing. And if he doesn't want to come, he doesn't want to come. I think it's been quite refreshing to see like a couple of the new signings like Emmanuel Thomas and Ramirez, how enthusiastic they seem about about being at Aberdeen, how excited they are to get going, and that's kind of a nice refreshing change to see that. I would hope, yes, that we're still in the market for a centre half. Um, I was looking at the the squad options that you posted earlier in the week and yeah, it does look very thin in there and if he is going to be pursuing McCrory as a long term option at centre half Michael Devlin, you just yeah, you just can't trust if you can. Hopefully, he can get himself fit, but it just looks like one of those players that is not going to happen. And Andy Constantine, as much as we we love him, he is getting that bit older as well. So unless he's got a young player that he's maybe got an eye on from the youth team that he's going to bring forward, you would still think there's a bit of business to be done there. So Abby, one of the one of the more intriguing signings, somebody I'm really looking forward to seeing because again. We haven't had the opportunity to lay eyes on him. He's played his football at uh, Premier League 2 level. Is Teddy Jenks. Now, obviously, you'd expect this guy to have a good calibre. Sound footballing background. Played for the England youth levels. It is that lack of top team physical football that's maybe a concern. Absolutely. And I think from Teddy's point of view, I mean, I know absolutely nothing about this guy um, other than like clips you can find on YouTube. But... I think with him, um, I'm trying to think of what I said. Sorry. Uh, yeah, saying, I think with him, the I lack have of senior level. Never done this. <laughs> <laughs> I think with Teddy, the lack of senior level football for us can be seen as a problem, but for him, he sees it as an opportunity. You know, Aberdeen's probably the perfect club for him, and you know he's not been signed on a very long deal. So I'm wondering if it's kind of like a Madison kind of player where he wants to come up get game time develop and then you'll shoot off somewhere else but I yeah definitely excited I think once he was rumored you know he was posting on his Instagram story when he was on a plane someone replied saying oh, are you coming to Aberdeen and he liked their comment before anything was even announced um, so they were all of his last club's fans were you know rather sad that he was going um, which I think is a good thing, obviously. So he is another one that I'm excited about, but I, there's honestly not one signing that I'm, you know, not that bothered about because because I don't know so much about many of them, and I've not we've not been able to go to the football for so long. It's just that excitement level of all these new players. So I hope that he grasps this opportunity of high level football with both hands, and we get a reward from it. Martin, you've got a slight bee in your bonnet about the fact that he's, he's come from Brighton, um, who have an existing relationship with Hibs, obviously. Yeah, there is a little bit of concern. Um, obviously, Hibs have got this link up with Brighton. 
Um, but you know, Hibs finished above us in the league, and they've let this guy come to come to Aberdeen. Um, I'm aware that obviously, you know, Hibs might not have a place for him. We start, we we seem to. Um, but there's no there's no doubt he's a talented player. I think he captained their under 23s. Um, so there's clearly ability there. Perhaps he's coming in because if we look at, if we look at our particularly our midfield, there isn't a hell of a lot of pace in there. So perhaps that's one of the things that he's the um, the manager and the rest of the coaching team have identified that they can get from him, as well as being you no, know, he's obviously no, he's obviously a talented young player. Um, a bit of a, a bit of a worry though. I mean, I've seen obviously Stephen Glass's comments have described him as a good all-round central midfielder, um, which. If you look at what we have available um, in terms of you know uh, the captain McCrory, Campbell, McGeek, Ferguson, Ojo, you no, know, there's well maybe not Ojo. Um, there's there is some good all-round central midfielders av- available there. Um, so I, I mean the worry is this guy's going to come in. Um, is he going to get much game time? Um, has he been promised a lot of game time? Um, we just don't know. And then, yeah, but like like Abby mentioned there, I'm hoping this guy is. I'm hoping this guy is, a, is can be another Madison, really. And um, I think we all are. Yeah, the the thing, the one main concern I would have with any player you sign from the Premier League under 23s, this is from any team in Scotland, is what attitude they're going to come up here with. As we've seen ourselves and other clubs in the league, that many times we've seen players coming up from this level, thinking they're just going to stroll the league. They're going to come in. They're going to be able to do what they like, and they get an almighty shock. So I, j- I just hope, from that point of view, that it's going to be on the good side of the bargain rather than some of the previous ones we've had before. So to the most enthusiastic uh, person on a Pitori payroll currently, Christian Ramirez. Um, I don't know if you heard our podcast um, with um, with Bruce, who um, watched Christian come through the ranks at Minnesota United. Um, I thought it, I, I wanted to do something with um, someone from Minnesota because I know that he's still very well regarded and very well thought of at Minnesota precisely for the sort of reasons, frankly, off the pitch that he's already worming his way into a few hearts at Aberdeen because he because he throws himself into things wholeheartedly, it, it would seem. Um, latterly, of course, off the pitch, things haven't gone quite so well uh, in his last two spells. Um Again, you dive a little bit deeper into numbers, you see that his actual goal return in terms of minutes on the pitch is it's still holding up pretty well. Um, a sort of uh, goal every 290 minutes worth, the goal every 180 minutes on the pitch, basically. The problem has been getting that time on the pitch. So Ramirez clearly identified from the outset from by both Alan Russell and Stephen Glass as the main striking target Abbey. He's been backed, he's got his man. It's really important that this pays off. Yeah, I keep going back to this word enthusiasm when I speak about Ramirez. And it's the same with uh, with Jet. You know, it's like those two are having a competition on their social medias to see who loves Aberdeen the most and who can make Aberdeen look like the dream place to be. Ramirez posting a picture on his Twitter of Union Street where all the shops are shot and there's buses just cutting about and it just looks so dull everything's great but he's like oh look I'm in Aberdeen heaps of love hearts heaps of flame emojis and people are just absolutely eating it up and I think that this kind of enthusiasm that both of them have is what like from players straight to fans is what we've lacked you know a lot of the time uh, players are just so worried about being professional on their social media that they don't really post too much but I think that the enthusiasm that both of those two players have has 
made me even more excited about getting to see them play. Um, obviously, I, I've seen Jet play last season. Don't know anything about Ramirez other than what I've seen kicking about on Twitter since he's come over to Aberdeen. And, yeah, I just think that he's someone who lives and breathes the game and he wants to make the best of wherever he's been. You've seen that from, as you said, when you spoke to the person from Minnesota. But, Grant, coming back to that central point, I mean, goal scoring is the reason, or the lack of, is the reason that Stephen Glass is basically here at Petaudry, isn't it? So, so he has to fix that and he's been back to get his man to do that. He has, but then there's also the onus on Glass to get the team around him and providing him with the chances. And that's that's why I'm, I'm genuinely really quite excited about the Jet signing. Just because of the last couple of years under McInnes, things have become so, so predictable. And there was just, there was no, there wasn't a player who could just offer something completely different or unexpected. And it was quite, it was a bit of a joke figure really when he first came to Livingston because he could barely move. So, I'm really interested to see with a pre-season under his belt, a bit of fitness, how much of a difference that's going to make. Because on the ball, technically, he's probably one of the most skillful players in the league on his day. He looks terrific. And he certainly can finish, as he showed against us last season. So if he can form a partnership with Ramirez, or if they get the chance to form a partnership with Ramirez, that could be crucial. But if Ramirez gets the same service as our strikers have had in the past 18 months, then he's going to be on a hiding to nothing from the start. But but hopefully it's all around him and Ramirez combine that and that's what Glass's main main objective got to be going forward. And I am I'm really, really positive about this the Ramirez signing. I think that this is going to be this is going to be something really special for us. I mean J Emmanuel Thomas has already promised us both promised us all sorry twenty goals this season. Um which is which is amazing to hear. You know, I, I love these kind of I love these kind of predictions from players about I'm going to come here, I'm going to bang them in. Um, if he's going to bang, if he's going to bang in 20 goals a season, and Ramirez is, I think Ramirez, that we can guarantee he's going to be the first choice striker. He'll be doing. He will hopefully be doing the same as well. So we've really got a. Um, let's hark back. We've got a Duncan Shearer, Mixu Patalainen sort of um, relationship on our hands, where we're going to have this unbelievable amount of goals. Um, Coming, coming from our two strikers this season, um, and I am I'm really excited to see get this guy. But obviously, I've only seen the clips or clips online of him. But the positivity that, he, that he's brought, uh, which he does, he obviously ingratiates himself to the, the club in the city wherever he goes. He's 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 dived in headfirst to the stuff with Aberdeen. He looks like he's really getting on well at training, um, and I'm really po- I'm really positive about this. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing him play for us. Does Jet thinks he's getting on penalties? Is that where most of his 20 goals are coming from? Um, nothing says free transfer back to the Carolina Railhawks in December more than Martin's enthusiasm for it. Christian Ramirez. Martin, um, in terms of the squad, you look around, you can see that uh, if we certainly if we're going to be playing two up top, you probably need a bit more cover up there because you've got Ramirez, you've got Emmanuel Thomas. There's a big drop off to Michael Ruth. Because of the pursuit of Clark Robertson, you kind of assume that they want another centre-half in the building. Anywhere else in the squad you think needs uh, booked up? Out with those two out with those two positions, I'm, I'm pretty pretty happy with what we'll have. Um, yeah, centre-half, you know, you've got you've got Gallagher and you've got Considine. Um, Ross McCurry can fit in there and you know, Michael Devlin's got six months to prove himself. 
whether that works or not, we don't know. Um, but no, I guess I guess that's something we'll have to see. I mean, it all depends on the formations as well that the manager wants to go for. I mean, if Johnny Hayes is going to be our left back, um, then that perhaps no, that means that no, we won't see perhaps Considine moving out to that left back position. So he's going to be a, a centre half. But they're, they're, we are a bit weak there um, up front um, as well. Um, yeah, just having the two and Michael Ruth. You know, I mean, I know that we've seen someone like Lewis Ferguson go up there. Obviously, Niall McGinn can play up there as well. Um, but to leave ourselves so short, um, particularly up front, where you know, we struggled for goals last season, I don't think we'll struggle for goals this season. But um, particularly, you know, we've seen how many teams have we seen be you know, decimated with the COVID. And look at the state of the, the state of the League Cup group stages have got themselves in, where you know, teams are having to forfeit games because of, because of COVID breaches. Um, if you know, one of these guys you know, has to isolate, um, then we could you know, we could be finding ourselves really short. Um, so, th- but those two, those two, I think everywhere everywhere else, I think we're, you know, we're we've got some pretty good depth. But it is just you know, I'd like to see another centre half uh, come in and maybe maybe another a, another striker stroke attacking midfielder. But um, I think centre half is the one that we really need to be looking at to get some to get some proper depth in there. Um. Grant Martin spoken about who's excited by Abby says she's generally excited. What excites you about the team currently? I think just a bit. This transfer window it looks like there's been a bit more thought into what's what's happening because last January was just a complete shambles. Uh, whatever was going on, there was just no clarity between McInnes and Cormac and who they were trying to get. It does look like he's trying to put together some kind of cohesive plan. Whether he's got enough depth in that yet, obviously there's still a long way to go before the the transfer window, and obviously we don't know if Lewis Ferguson's going to stay or go. But I'm, I'm pretty encouraged by what I see. You just you never know about the, the old COVID spectre again. If that hits a club, when it hits a club, that's going to really test the, the depth of your squad. Look what's happened with Ross County already. Look, who knows if the SPFL have even got a plan this time if it happens during the league campaign. Surely they would after last season, but you, you never do know. But there's still there's still time for the transfer window. Whether that's going to hinge on how our European progress is, if there is European progress, we'll have to wait and see. What a lovely segue that is in two. Uh, the discussion about the game on Thursday, Aberdeen versus BK Hacken. In order to dig a little bit beneath the surface of the team from Gothenburg, I spoke to Linus Pedersen, who is a journalist with the Gothenburg Posten. To understand what's been happening with the side that finished third in the Swedish league last year. Uh, so Linus, the, the side that Aberdeen face on Thursday, they have a, a different manager from the one that led Hacken to third in the league last season. But it's not because the board panicked with the team at the bottom of the table, was it? Uh, no, not really. But they might have if the coach weren't transferred to, to Odense <laughs> in Denmark. I, I think he might have been fired. But uh, this was the best solution for all parties. Uh, Andreas Alm, who coached Hecken uh, last season and the start of this season, got a new challenge in a new club. And, and Hecken got the opportunity to bring in a new coach and, and some new energy. So it, it was a good solution. The new coach chosen was Per Matthias Hogmo. Was this something of a surprise choice? Because, I mean, obviously he's well known in Scandinavia, um, formerly being Norway manager, experienced previously in the Ask, uh, Ask on Scan. But he had been out of club management for a while. 
yeah, it was a surprise choice because uh, the names that, that kind of came out in, and the rumors circulating about was, was Swedish managers. And uh, Jens Gustafsson, uh, I don't know if he's familiar in Scotland, but he was one of the, the biggest names uh, connected to the club. But they, um, they chose another way. They used an external party, a consulting company, you can call it, uh, who helped them take a, take a profile and, and describe what kind of coach they wanted. And then they also helped help the club find the right coach. So in that sentence, they made a really detailed detailed work and find Pematias because they think he's the right one. Uh, so surprised, yes, but also no. So what qualities were it, uh, was it about Pematias that um, attracted them? Was it a style of play? Was it his ability to bring on young players? Is there something in particular that the board said that they were looking for that... Uh, Permateus fitted the role? I think it's just uh, winning games. I mean, that's the most <laughs> important thing at all. Uh, and the biggest problem I can have had in the, these years. He, he actually, a couple of years ago, took over Djurgården in the Swedish league. And they were in the in almost exact similar situation. They were very hyped before the season. A lot of people thought they were going to be at the top of the table. And then they just collapsed. And then Permateus and also Martin Foyston came in and they transformed the team. They built the team up and they finished seven in the league that time from the bottom of the table. And this is almost the same thing now with Beko Hecken. Uh, so he has done it before. And the actually funny thing is that he did it in Djurgården by building a really strong squad. They read poetry for each other, they danced ballet, and they kind of challenged each other to, to build a strong group. And I think that is maybe the biggest part that they go for him. He's done it before and he's really, really good at building a good squad. I mean, when the draw was made um, a few weeks ago, Hacken were obviously at the foot of the table. Um, was this uh, something of a false position anyway, based on how they'd been playing up to that point and obviously the talent that is in their squad that had finished third last year? Oh, they, they were... <laughs> everyone, I think everyone was disappointed with the start of the season. I mean, um, a lot of people thought, me included, that they were going to be challenging for the title this season. Uh, and they just collapsed. And I mean, they didn't win any of the first seven games. Uh, and with that squad they got, they should be in the top of the table. Maybe not the first place, but just challenging. So it was a big failure, and I don't know if anyone really knows what went wrong. So we're definitely facing one of the better teams in Sweden, because that's the thing sometimes about these sides with a with a summer league, that um, when it comes to European games the following season, it can be a completely different team. Now, obviously, it is in a way, because it's a different manager and a different way of playing, but... Uh, there hasn't been a complete overhaul in terms of the players. It's still a really good, strong group of players. Yeah, sure it is. And I, I would say it's one of the best teams in here in Sweden. Uh, I think I don't think you should look at the league table that much because they are better than it shows there. And uh, like you said, the squad is almost the same as last year. Even better, I think. Uh, I mean, we, we might go into individual players later on, but they brought home Alexander Jaromeyev, who was maybe the biggest star of the team before the season. Uh, a lot of people, me included again, thought that he would be the, the last piece of the puzzle for them to win the league. But, um, well, the start of the season wasn't that good and, and maybe the title has gone, gone from them. But uh, still a good team with a very young and talented squad. Well, that's an, let's talk a bit more about that squad before talking about how they've played the first few games under the new coach. Um, as far as... Scottish fans, probably the most recognisable name will be Martin Olsen, who was at Blackburn earlier in his career. Highly experienced Swedish international at left-back. 
Um, Yunus Toivio, obviously part of a very sol- solid Finnish central defence, uh, went to the Euros. Um, but who else in that side should we be looking out for? Oh, they have a lot of, if you just talk generally, they have an offensive side with a lot of young players, a lot of young players with a lot of speed, a lot of technique, uh, a lot of selling potential. So there are a lot of players to watch out for there. Maybe the most important player is, is a midfielder called Erik Freiberg. Uh, he's been playing in Serie A and MLS for a lot of years. Um, he's old now, <laughs> but still good. Uh, he's kind of the, the heart in the, in the game-building play. Uh, so he, he was out with an injury um, some of the last game of the spring, and that really shown us all how important he is for this team. His passing skills, he's... Uh, he's got a lot of hockey assists. You know, uh, he, uh-huh. he's behind a lot of goals, uh, but it doesn't seem see you can't see it in the statistics really. Uh, so I will point at him, and I will also point at the goalkeeper uh, Peter Abramson, um, who is uh, one of the best keepers in in the the league. Uh, he's been uh, out with a knee injury uh, for for about a year now, but he's back, uh, and he seems he looks really good again. Um, some people say he should be in the national team, but <laughs> he's not there yet. But he's, he's really, really good and, and a key player as well. About the recent uh, recent games, again, just looking from afar, looking at the stats, it's three wins from three. It's very impressive because two of them have been away from home and they've been against decent quality sides in the league as well. But looking at the stats, it seems that they've, those wins have come despite not having as much of the ball as the opposition. Is that Has that been by accident or is it been by design. Basically, a new coach coming in, realising that he needs his team to be compact and solid and maybe playing on the counter-attack. Yeah, it's, it's funny you said that. I was actually, uh, just a couple of minutes ago, uh, looking at the statistics and they had had like 39, 34 and 34 in, in possession in these last three games. And that's not like Hecken. <laughs> but um, Pamatias has said that they, they want to control the games. Uh, that's his kind of goal. Uh, but but at the start, and with these, like you said, tough games they have had, I think they have focused on the defense uh, to put that pieces together. And then, like I said before, they have a lot, a lot of speedy players, a lot of players, young players with speed, and they are dangerous on the counterattacks. And they are, Permitias has really used that. He has played with, with two strikers mostly, and he has just, the, the first players in the squad, he has just told them, play, play strikers. Uh, he had put up wingers, he had put up almost anything at the top, and just focused on defense and then counterattacks. So I don't think that it is a coincidence that it has looked like this, but I don't think it will look like that in the, for the long term, if you understand what I mean. Uh, yeah. But on Thursday, definitely. Yeah, so it will be expected to be a, a continuation of what we've maybe seen from them or what our coaching team will watch them play solid focusing on not conceding too many goals, but breaking at pace very quick on the counter-attack. Okay, just speaking more generally about Swedish teams in Europe, you look back at the recent record of Hacken, they've qualified, like Aberdeen, quite frequently for the qualifying rounds of the Europa League and now the Conference League in recent years, but seem to have hit a ceiling. They seem to have always kind of gone out in the second qualifying round. Again, has that just been bad luck in the draw or has it just been symptomatic of the way that Swedish sides have maybe struggled to 
um, progress in Europe in the last few years because if you look at the standings of the league, Sweden are down in, in 22nd in the uh, UEFA standings. I think it's a combination. I mean, first, if you look at Hecken, they have had a really tough draw in the last couple of years. I mean, they played Red Bull Leipzig uh, in 2018-19 and they had Aset Alkmaar in <laughs> So, I mean, uh-huh. there are tough opponents that Hecken shouldn't beat. Uh, so that that is bad luck with the draw, um, but then as well, it's been a lot of discussion here in Sweden about uh, adapting to the European Cups and the style of playing there because it's it's not the same uh, as in the league. It's a lot about talking about uh, playing a little bit more dirty, if you know what I mean, a little bit mm-hmm. more cynical, and I think Swedish clubs have had a little bit problem with that. Um, that kind of transition going for a league game to a European game because I don't think it's the same uh, I think you need to handle the games in different ways I mean these are two games uh, it's, it's win or lose in the league you kind of have the time to repair some of the mistakes so yes I think uh, Swedish clubs have had a little bit problem uh, with European games um, but looking at Hecken they have also have had a bad luck with, with the drawing I suspect they'll be thinking that they've had a bit more luck this time round. I, I, I think we here in Aberdeen are quite weary because we haven't started our season yet. Hacking are obviously mid-season, but um, I expect that locally in Gothenburg, people probably expect Hacking to progress in this time, though. Mm, not so sure, but it could have it could have been a badder draw. I mean, Houston uh, mm-hmm. Boy was there, FC Copenhagen was there, I'd split. I mean. I think the Hecker fans was kind of happy with the draw. Uh, I think they see it as a good opportunity to, to go through, but but I don't think they see themselves as favourites. Uh, I think they see it as, a, like I said, a good chance to move on, but I think they also understand that it will be a tough game. And even if they are in a good role now with a new coach, um, it's a tough one playing uh, a lot of games now. I think they have like five games in, in two weeks, so... It will be tough, uh, but uh, a good opportunity. Uh, and watching the highlights from the last few games, it's been noticeable that fans are back in the stadium in, in Sweden. So, full capacity yet, or is there still restrictions? No, it's not the full capacity yet. It's uh, it's restriction, but um, but it's getting more and more. And, and I was at IFK Gothenburg playing yesterday. Uh, they had uh, a little bit over 9,000 uh, at the stadium, and it was... It was wonderful. I mean, these are the things we have been missed, uh, missed the most uh, in these hard times. And just just be at the stadium, just walk into a stadium and see all the fans uh, outside and then inside singing, screaming. Uh, it's wonderful. Then you also should know that Beko Hecken is, is not the biggest uh, club in Sweden uh, regarding supporters. Um, they, are, uh, they are growing, but they are very, very small. Um, among the smallest in the league, actually, uh, so there won't be any <laughs> any big atmosphere at the at the stadium when, when Aberdeen is coming. Well, uh, as I say, Linus, it's a it's a great shame that uh, the away support um, can't make it to these games. I think the um, small but loyal support of Hacking, if they'd come to Aberdeen, they would have had a great reception and a good time. And uh, I know Aberdeen fans are very disappointed at missing out and going to Gothenburg. Um, thank you very much for your time this morning. Oh, no problem at all. So that was really interesting, I thought. To be honest, much like us, he's. I think the feeling in Sweden is that it's uh, it's going to be a close game. It's going to be a close tie. 
Um, clearly, Hacking have that advantage on match fitness. We having just played the two pre-season games, they being midway through their season. In terms of how we line up, though, um, I mean, what do you expect, Abby? Because, you know, we... we I think we all assumed that Stephen Glass would continue with the 4-2-3-1 that he played every single game that he was in charge last season. But yeah, this kind of curveball of, of this partnership of Emmanuel Thomas and Ramirez, it suggests that potentially something different for the home game at least. It's been so hard to think formation-wise because of, well, our 1-1 draw versus Cali Thistle and then our 0-0 against St. Johnson where they had two up top for the St. Johnson game and there was no goal so I'm I don't know um literally having a Scooby I think it's so hard to pin these things down when you've not when you can't actually go and see the games as well you know all I'm seeing is um the match reports written by the the club so they're all always really enthusiastic about the positive sides too <laughs> so it's like it gets to the point where I'm just thinking I don't actually know what's going to happen who's going to line up who's starting but I'm going with I'm going in with that with like a quite a positive mindset. Like I'm ready to be pleasantly surprised and just praying that I'm not going to be bitterly disappointed. <laughs> Which I think is where we're all at. Um, I have to say that trying to work at the formations on the TV last season was struggle enough, and trying to work them out just from the match reports, um, I think, would have been almost impossible. I mean, yeah, Richard. I'm kind of the same. I'm kind of the same as Abby. There, it's it's hard to tell. Um, you know, none of us, none of us have seen any of the preseason games, and I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of glad. Um, I quite enjoy not being able to not being able to go to these preseason games because you, know, you don't you don't really learn anything from them. You know, we've we've seen some really stinking ones in the past as well when you've we've travelled up to Peterhead or down, uh, you know, Cove or whoever like that to see these games. So I'm, I know. I kind of, you know, kind of quite enjoy the the kind of anticipation of going in blind, um, and as Abby says there, you, know, you read the club reports, um, and you know, no no offence to them, but it's you no, know, it's really sometimes as Pravda level stuff about how, you know, about how well we, particularly St Johnston, about how well we played and controlled it and all this kind of stuff. Um, so the, you know, it's difficult, it's difficult to work out. I mean, I think the, the thing we'll have with Harkin is they'll, they'll probably play. Uh, they'll probably play you know, slightly counter-attacking, um, and as as I said earlier, you know, there, you know, I don't think we've got a lot of pace um, in the central midfield, um, which is some, which is something that will be a, be a bit of a concern, um, which is hard to which is hard to try and where we can work out whether we will have the two up front or whether it will be Jet as like an, uh, you know, an attacking an attacking midfielder or coming coming inside from out wide. Um, so it's it's hard to really tell. I mean, the only the only worry is that we've only had the two games. You know, as we mentioned, you know, you've only had Inverness and we've had St Johnston, uh, and the worry is that we're not going to be going to be up to speed. Uh, Hacken have played. You know, they came back from their their summer break for the Euros and they played three games. Um, they seem to be in a bit of form. Um, and that's and this that's what that's really what worries me. Um, I I think this tie has got not not exactly the same kind of feeling surrounding it, but I do think there is a faint whiff of Sigma Olomouc about this tie. But about yourself, Grant, um, do you think it will be a flat two up top, or, do you, or can you see Emmanuel Thomas coming in from one of the wings? I don't know if he's got the athleticism to do that. 
Yeah, it's hard to know at this stage of the season where he, where, if he's going to just go with who he thinks is most fit, most ready to go. It probably would be quite a risk to put both of them up top there, but I mean, on the one hand, there's a lot of talk, okay, they're midway through their season, but they've only played three league games since the end of May, when pretty much we finished our season. The Swedish league broke for the Euros. So, okay, that is three competitive games, but it's not as if they're going to be massively, massively ahead of us, I hope, from that point of view. But, I mean, if I was predicting the team, what he's going to pick, I'm not sure I'd even get half of them right, to be perfectly honest, as it stands. It's a bit, we've touched upon it a few times, Abby. The um, the idea that, again, and this isn't really any fault of the clubs, obviously they had four games arranged, two of them were called off because of the COVID situation. And this is something that we're clearly going to have to live with for the next few months, at least anyway, until things hopefully peter out a bit more on that front. But, um, you know, the first game of last season, we came up against a side that were looked much more prepared and took pre-season I think much more seriously went out and had some proper games against some good quality teams rather than a couple of closed door friendlies um, are you worried that it's going to be the same again on Thursday that we're just going to be undercooked yeah I think it was very unfortunate that the game versus Reading was called off because of Covid probably a good thing that we didn't they didn't just take those two players out and we went down because if anyone had caught it it would definitely have impacted Thursday but I think that the idea of us having fans back is definitely going to spur the players on you know I've touched on uh, Manuel Thomas and Ramirez and how they're so enthusiastic about everything and I think they're the kind of players that are going to feed off of a crowd they've been so like interactive with the fans and stuff I think that come Thursday they're going to totally just take that in and it's just going to make their game so much better I think it's really hard to judge closed door games compared to ones with crowds um, it's a totally different atmosphere and I hope we're not going to have a repeat of our first game last season against Rangers but um, yeah I mean we'll just have to see see what happens on Thursday but I definitely think that having the crowd is going to de- like play a massive part in our team's performance Linus made it clear that he thought that um Hacking, we'd, we'd play in the counter-attack. And, and certainly the, their performances uh, in the away league games and, and even in the home league game um, since the new manager was appointed suggest that that's going to be the case. The focus has been on keeping it tight, focusing on trying to keep a clean sheet, keep the opposition out and hitting the break when they could. And that was certainly the, the case on Sunday when they won 1-0 away at North Shopping. Now, obviously... One of the main things that we seem to be lacking, and it's not helped by sending guys like 36-year-old Scott Brown or 30, 31-30-year-old Declan Gallagher, through the spine of that team, Grant, there was a lack of pace. We found out a couple of times on the glass last season, in the United Cup game in particular, full-backs got off the pitch, centre-backs exposed by a lack of pace. The way that he wants to play, I think it, te- it might tend itself to that again. Yeah, that, that's exactly what I was thinking as well. And it comes down to, obviously, he was just testing things out at that point. He obviously talked a lot about he knew how he wanted to play. He's got some of those players in, but how is he going to approach the start of the season? Is he going to be a bit more pragmatic and think, OK, we're not ready to go with exactly how I want to play? 
and he might make things a bit more tight to counter that. Or whether he's just going to, from the start, going to, right, this is how I want to play, and we're just going to to persist. We haven't, we don't have any friendlies to really practice. We don't have any. We're just going to have to go for it. And you would hope, with the experience of Brown, with guys like McCrory and Ferguson in there, they should hopefully be smart enough positionally wise. Gallagher as well when he comes back. But yeah, of, of course, the, the the thing with Scott Brown is. I don't want to go full uh, Jackie McNamara alarm things because like, he's he's obviously not that kind of character. But you do wonder with Brown when he's been at a club like Celtic for so long, where it's just the, the demand to win is just constant. How he adapts to being somewhere where that's not on him if he's going to be able to keep that same levels. I remember when uh, I think when Barry Robson went out to MLS, he had a thing where he just couldn't handle the fact that the players were not bothered if they lost the game or they could accept the odd loss or if, if that's going to be an issue for him. I, I would hope with his kind of mentality that's not going to be the case but you never know how, how his performance as you say at his age is going to be affected. Yeah, that, that point about parametrism is, is quite an interesting one because there was a, again coming back to that Dundee United Cup tie there seemed to be a distinct lack of it as far as that particular game went and he must be aware Grant, that the mood music of end of season will actually be fairly heavily influenced by how this tie goes. Um, someone's already brought up Sigma Olamuk. I, I don't think it could possibly go as badly as that. But, you know, in a sense, despite the fact he's been here since March, this is a bit of a fresh start and uh, it's really important to get off on the right foot. Yeah, I really hope that if we do get knocked out of this tie that there's not going to be a complete overreaction I think there's also the fact there is that I think there's a kind of perception that the Conference League is an easier path to group stage football and European football. That's not really the case for the teams at our level. That's more for teams dropping out of the Champions League, Europa League, the positions St Johnston are in. We're pretty much in exactly the same position as we've been in every other Europa League season. We're going to be playing the same kind of standard of teams. So I, I hope if it doesn't go our way, then... There isn't going to be an overreaction, but I think one of the things that he could really think about is all he needs to do is show that there's going to be some entertainment. I mean, if we get knocked out 5-4 in aggregate or something, it would be such an antidote with fans back in the stadium to, to just the turgidness of most of the past year, 18 months of football. Just some sign that there's going to be some attack, attacking, interesting football to enjoy this season would be some start. Is that enough for you, Martin, to be Hibs? <laughs> Third place in a cup final, I would take that. Keep losing the cup final at St Johnston, losing the semi at St Johnston, would you? That's I th- didn't go for the didn't go for the details. Yeah, I, th- I think it's inevitable if he is going to per- to go ahead with how he wants to change the style of the play. We're going to have to accept there's going to in the early stages there's probably going to be a couple of three nil on United desk ropey results. And obviously, you don't want to drag it on and on and on. But hopefully, it just gets a bit of a sensible time in the first few months of the season that, that that's going to happen. Yeah, let's talk about the fact that there will be a crowd in the stadium on Thursday night for the first time, apart from the 300 that we're in against Kilmarnock, for 16 months since 3 1 1 against Hibs back in March of 2020. 
Um, so, Abby, as you touched upon yourself, um, you're you're hoping to secure a ticket uh, from the sort of general sale. I think your your dad's a season ticket holder, so I think they're, they've shifted the goalpost slightly. So you're hoping to be able to secure one. Um, I, what's your excitement level for the potential of uh, getting back into the ground? Honestly, the, even the very minuscule chance I have of getting a ticket for Thursday is all the excitement I need. You know, I don't have a season's ticket, so I don't have red TV because I don't live in Aberdeen. So the fact that I'm home now, there's a chance I can go. All of these extra precautions they're having to take, you know, with the testing and the photo ID and sitting in your family houses is fine by me. Having to wear a mask, fine by me. Not being able to jump up and cheer, fine by me. With just the small chance of actually getting to see some live football. I've missed it so much. It's been so strange because I do some media stuff for other clubs around the country and even then I've had to do everything from home. So even like match reporting and filling out like admin work and stuff for the clubs, I've still had to do all of that through a screen, through watching like some crappy live stream that is probably illegal and filling my laptop with bugs. So the fact that it's just this season is just so much potential for all of us to finally get that bit of normality back. But yeah, I'm just hoping and praying that I can actually go on Thursday. Uh, Martin, you have your tickets in the bank. Um, what's your excitement level at? Nine, ten? That's where you regularly are at, anyway. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely at ten. I can't wait, Richard. No, we, I've said to you. I said to you when we did the wrap up um, at the end of last season that you know last season was just was you know. It was it was just awful having to watch it on a screen. Um, I wasn't one of the lucky three hundred either that was in that Colmarnock game. So, um, like pretty much everybody else, I've not been in the stadium and I've not seen a ball kicked in anger in the flesh um, in all that time. And I'm just I'm just so looking forward to getting back, getting back to getting back to Pataudry. Um Yeah, it's going to be you know, it's a bit a bit awkward. It's been a bit of a ball ache, you know. Um, I, th- I don't think it's any you know I don't think there's any um, criticism can go towards a club. Because of the way they've, you know, the way they've had to such short notice to try and organise this um, with the pods and things like that, and yeah, it's a bit of a pain having to have a test, do a test before the game and take your photo ID and all this kind of stuff. But I'm willing, I'm willing to take that pain because I'm just desperate to get back to support my team, which is the same as probably everybody else that's bought a ticket and those people that are waiting to buy a ticket uh, when the general sale starts, and then there's other people who. You know, maybe feel that it's you no, know, it's a bit came a bit too soon for them as well. And I know I feel sorry, I feel sorry for those guys who, um, you know, are going to are going to miss out. But um, I'm just, I'm just absolutely like, it, I'm probably sitting at about a twelve right now to be honest, Richard. I'm just, I'm just delighted to be able to get back. Um, and to be honest, it can't come soon enough. And the actual restrictions that we're gonna, we're going to have to comply to, they obviously don't make too much of a difference to the way you're feeling about the game because I have to say that for the Kilmarnock game because it felt so unnatural I, I, just, I didn't even bother going in the ballot No I didn't I didn't either um, it'd be, to be honest um, but I think this, this will be different now, there's a lot more people going to be in the stadium it'll be um, with the main stand obviously not being open um, because that's used as the Covid bio cure bubble or whatever they called it again um, I think it'll it'll be a lot different to the to the that game, which I mean, well, obviously, I think we'll find out. There were I think you no, know, I know a couple of people that were there 
Um, so I guess we'll find out after just how different it felt. But I think it, it's, it will feel like night and day. Um, there will be a bit more of an atmosphere. I know we've got to sit down. I know you've got to wear a mask during the game. Um, all these in, all the instructions. But uh, this will be this will be different now. You know, we're, this is the first step step on the, on what will fingers crossed Touchwood hopefully be a road to getting more fans back, regular fans back into games, um, and getting us back to. In terms of football, a, se- a sense of normal normality, where you know people can go see their team, go be entertained, hopefully, um, in a in a you know, with a good env- a good environment, good entertainment, um, and a good a really good atmosphere at the stadium. Because that's one thing I think I will be on Thursday. And Thursday, so much of us have missed out for so long. There's going to be a really really good atmosphere on Thursday. I can feel it. Uh, Grant, uh, you've um, been abroad for a number of years now. Um, I've got to say, last season, if that was an introduction as to, to what's it like watching the Dons uh, remotely on Red TV, I, I don't envy it it's one little bit. No, that was uh, I was uh, yeah, I was <laughs> it was pretty horrendous to to watch from a distance there, and uh, that, 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 that's why I just want some entertainment. That's we've been so ground down by the indifference of last season. It's we're going to look back on that season in years to come and barely remember a single game from it, I'm pretty sure. Uh, I barely remember some of the players from it as well, I think. So, anything. If you want a little good positive omen, though, Richard, uh, Hicken's new manager, Per Matthias Fogbo, was Norway manager against Scotland in 2013. The final score was Norway nil, Scotland won, and the goal was Scott Brown. Same again, we'll take that. Uh, and I want to say your um, pronunciation of Permatheus Hogmore was much, much superior to mine when I um, mulled that in my conversation with Linus earlier. That is our podcast for this evening. Thank you very much to Abby Little, to Grant Fiskin, and to Martin Cleanus. We'll be back next week after the first game against Hacken and the first game when we've been back in that stadium for a long, long time. I can't wait. I hope uh, you're looking forward to it. Come on, you guys.